listening to Thunder Radio, the podcast of the Manitoba First Nations Education Resource Centre. Welcome to today's show, where we are featuring an interview with Maria Morrison. Maria is a publishing consultant who has worked mainly on developing First Nations resources, and she also works on the Citizen Equity Committee for the City of Winnipeg. So we had the chance to chat about all kinds of things, cultural literacy, community engagement, First Nations education. So I hope you enjoy this episode of Thunder Radio. So Maria is here with me. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm very excited to be able to chat with you. I know that you worked for many years with Ningwakwe. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Learning Press. So for anyone who's listening who's interested in the publishing field, uh, because you were the publishing manager there. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the path you took to get there? Well, it's a kind of a long, windy path. Yeah. Well, maybe a short, windy path, because uh, when I graduated, when, when I was at University of Guelph, I was still interested in being a geography teacher for high school. That was my goal I was going to be, and then history was my minor. And I started taking lots of geography courses, like air photo interpretation, cartography, making maps, and a lot of hands-on courses. And I had summer jobs working at a conservation authority in southern Ontario where I would map wetlands on the shores of Lake Huron. And I enjoyed the outdoors and I enjoyed the, the mapping aspect of it. And, but I was still going to be a teacher. Well, then I got laid off at the conservation authority shortly after I graduated from the University of Guelph. And then this job opportunity came along from the Ontario Native Literacy Coalition. And they wanted a part-time project coordinator to create just one or two literacy resources. So I applied and I started there. And then 18 years later, (laughs) you know, um, I had assisted with over 150 publications, uh, First Nation Education and Literacy Resources over that time. So a lot of that time was, um, I had the basis of education and I had, um, I think with the, the map making and the geography, there was a lot of computer GIS training, a lot of technical, um, requirements but also being a creative person that I am, um, it flowed into book design and covers and content. And so that whole mishmash of, of education and, you know, skills, I guess. But I did take a lot of hands-on learning. Like, I mean, along with the hands-on learning, I took courses throughout the years in project management or copyright laws that came along from different universities or even sessions that were offered in publishing and as well as you know yearly um, seminars and stuff on the latest um, adult literacy levels and standards that were constantly changing and being renewed with different um, as, as, as different systems of learning rolled out from the ministry. Mm. So for someone who perhaps might be interested in going into publishing or I I mean I imagine it's different if you are an author for example wanting something published or to be like yourself more on the hands-on side of actually getting Mm -hmm. the book done Mm -hmm. so we'll talk about that that side more the actual um, publishing side what advice would you give to someone who's perhaps wanting to to do that with their life well it's not so much it's not enough just to like books, to love books, to read and, and write them. Um, you really do need people skills. It, it is different from being an author. Um, author, you can write and show up for 
book launches and that sort of thing, which is awesome too, but as a uh, publishing professional, right? And in, especially in cultural publishing, there are quite a few people now who have come up the hard way. And so what I would say to anyone new trying to get into publishing, or especially into uh, First Nation uh, Inuit Métis publishing specifically, is ask questions of us that have been there and done it and learned things. And we've had to learn many lessons the hard way of what not to do. And so young people don't have to learn this way. They can ask and... Um, but they should also get all the education, the hands-on publish experiencing that they can, even like intern at a large publishing firm. I just wanted to also mention with my time at, at Ningwakwe Learning Press, um, I basically self-taught myself Photoshop and InDesign. Over the years, those programs changed, but I had some gurus and friends along the way that, that really helped with the publishing software. So that would be another um, piece of advice is just play around with those programs because the more that you know, um, the more you can assist the authors and editors and designers and you'll know what you're talking about when they need stuff done. So I was actually the executive director of NLP for a short period of time, um, but I decided that I liked working with authors, editors, creating interesting and new books, coming up with ideas, listening to the community and the people and the teachers and the students who, who want, were requesting resources. So I was fortunate to have worked with about 100 Indigenous authors from all over Canada. But in the beginning, I guess I had made a conscientious decision to find them and seek them out. And this, this was quite hard because that was like 18 years ago, 19 years ago now. But so some of the people that I have worked with over, the, over that time are like Wabagisha Grace, Jordan Wheeler, Kim Wheeler, Marilyn Dumont, Drew Hayden Taylor, Edma Tatawaben. Christy Belcourt, Nancy Cooper, Jody Keshigo, and many others who are, I mean, there's dozens more. Um, so those, they are actually my greatest teachers because they have, we have worked together in a, a team aspect to, to create some of the books that we did. And uh, so every time I've worked with a new author, I've learned something from them and I think they've learned something from me too. Mm -hmm. Wow. Do you find um this is an aside do you find now that there are more people because you mentioned having to go out and, and and find the the authors and seek them out do you find now more people are approaching it's coming the other way and more people are approaching you saying i have work i want it published yes what do i do yep that yep back um even in the early 2000s it was uh we would have to put out calls for proposals for about eight nine years and we had to really push them and advertise them and in to all parts of Canada. I was lucky enough to work with authors from Nova Scotia to BC, everywhere in between, from Moose Factory down to um, Aquasasne. So it was, uh, then near the end, I didn't have to. Mm. People would approach me and say, I, have you got something, you know, and I would be constantly getting from um, seasoned as well as new authors. And you also work with the Citizen Equity Committee. For the city of Winnipeg. Um, so what what does that entail? Okay, well, it's funny because what drew me to this contract in the first place was a book, oh. right? There was, um, and I just started this past April, but the book was, well, first I'll tell you what the Citizen Equity uh, Committee 
is mandated to do, and it is to advise the mayor and council on equity and diversity issues as they impact on the city of Winnipeg policies, procedures, and services. The committee provides information, recommendations, and monitors the progress regarding equity and diversity. So that was that was the tagline. And when I was doing research to apply for the contract, uh, I came across a book of um, cultures. No, is it? Uh, Get to know your multicultural neighbors in Winnipeg. And looking through the book, I mean, I realize it's they're not a publisher. <laughs> but the first thing that stuck out for me was that there was no Indigenous content at all. And um, I think this was partly because they the book was geared towards newcomers and it was focused on the country of origin of newcomers. Right. So yeah, yeah. under, um, let's say it said um, Greece and there was the flag of Greece. There was the population of Greece, uh, what their major exports are. And so I thought I I know I could do this better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I really <laughs> wanted to try uh, to work with this book. And sure enough, when I when I started with them, uh, one of the, my first jobs is, oh, we need the third edition of this book to come mm-hmm. out because it hasn't been updated in years. So I went, oh, I can do this, right? <laughs> <laughs> so over the past summer, that's what I've been, I've really focused on and busy uh, working on it. So what I wanted to do is make it uh, Winnipeg's Get to Know Your Neighbors Guide. And just thinking about that title, um, I wanted it to be less about flags and the country of origin because we're all here now. And what I wanted it to be is, is like how do people talk to each other how do they get to know each other um, different cultural groups um, you probably wouldn't say my grandparents are from Greece you would say I'm Greek mm-hmm. so just changing from country of origin to ethnic culture like all of a sudden then you could see the the um, the different cultural group that had been excluded in the past and so I based it on like the last family household survey I went and looked up 75 different cultural groups and we're adding in uh, First Nation Inuit and Métis each get their own section and it's, it's been a real eye-opening experience but what I, I really hope happens with it is that um, that it's part of a cultural literacy process here and that if all it does is see how we're the same or even interesting differences that if your neighbor is of a different cultural group that you'll actually reach out and go, oh, hey, I, you know, that's how you shake hands. Or, you know, that's why your personal space is um, closer or further away than mine. And those are some of the difference that, that I did find uh, in doing some of the research. So um, we hope to have that one out by Christmas, I'm going to say. Yeah. But it's been a that long process. Question, <laughs> I can't wait to see it myself. I was going to ask, when does it come out? So. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, trying to get sign off from like 75 different cultural groups has been a bit of a challenge, mm, I can't but uh, <laughs> I, I think we'll get it done. Yeah. Are you close? <laughs> um, close. Yeah. You know what? I've got about half of uh, half of the content done and design and layout has already started. So what we're doing is we're just trying to all the ones that are lagging behind, we're, yeah. you know, quickly trying to, to do that. But um, the other thing that the Citizen Equity Committee does is we attend d- d- different cultural events uh, throughout the city 
as representatives of the city. Um, we're also involved in if there are any diversity or equity issues that come forward from citizens. So we have monthly meetings um, from a citizens group um, along with Councillor Gilroy as our chair. So and then the other thing that's been keeping us busy lately is that we were tasked with creating a summary of the events and discussions that took place at the one summit. So that is um, supposed to be done in a month and I think I was nominated for the task because of my publishing experience and so that was just um, a little while ago. So trying to compile all of the document into all of, I mean, everybody's speeches, um, comments that were said. Um, I'm trying to even include social media comments and social media, um, like Twitter. I just printed off all the tweets from hashtag one summit and it was 89 pages. Oh my goodness. Wow. So I don't know how I'm going to include that <laughs> in, but they said we yeah. want everything. <laughs> that sounds so. like a huge task. Yeah. Yeah, um, another thing that we're also working on with the CEC is uh, the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation is having an education day, and they've asked to partner with the city of Winnipeg. And so the Citizen Equity Committee um, will have some role to play in in being a part of that day. Mm. I see. And when is that? On November 4th okay. or 5th. Okay. Great. Yeah, and they're going to have like... Um, over 1,500 students from across Manitoba at the convention center. And um, that would be the grand opening of the research center. So well, it's actually yeah. been really, I mean, it, it seems a bit of a divergence from what I was doing before. But um, I think it, it all falls in the same path of, of publishing and, and um, cultural literacy, whether it's in books or in blogs or podcasts, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it all seems to tie together or even networking one-on-one -on -one with people and sharing um, First Nation and Indigenous ways of being. It's just, I, th I think it's all, it's all a part of that. Mm, yeah, it's all connected, yeah. Okay. So uh, turning to the topic of First Nations education, and I, I know that it's a very broad question, but what, based on your experience, all your many people that you've come in contact with over the years, what do you think are the biggest issues regarding First Nations education? Well, I'm not sure I'm the, I'm not, I don't think I'll bring anything new to the conversation because, you know, everything has been um, talked a lot, and I, I do think that the number one issue is lack of funds for on-reserve schools. That's the number one issue, because if they had good schools, if they had a school that a child is proud of attending and is clean and healthy, um, then you know the next step is the social issues of poverty and health standards, even clean water. Those have to be solved and made better before students can concentrate on school. So if they've got food in their belly and and they're um, well looked after health-wise, you know, then they can concentrate on their studies. Um, another need, I think, is educating teachers on First Nation issues, and I think that's needed across Canada. Many teachers today don't even, well, they didn't learn about residential school, not in 
public school, maybe not even in university. And um, that should include the intergenerational effects of residential schools that are affecting the grandchildren or um, the whole community still. And I think if, um, I know that, I know Winnipeg school divisions are, are, are doing a good job of that, of having, um, well, I, I don't even know, I, I, I can't speak whether they're mandatory or if they're, but I do know that they have their education days and that they're trying, but it seems to be, I think, and maybe that's where you start. You start with the people who are interested first and you, um, you get their skills and confidence up on, on these issues and then they'll feel more like discussing and sharing them. Um, another thing I think that I could say that is, um, is needed is content, cultural content, books that reflect Indigenous children's um, true history, their diverse culture and languages, and their contributions to Canada. This is happening now with like your organization and many publishers across Canada, but this is almost like the only in the last five to ten years. Yeah, and so it, it's yeah, it's it's gonna, and there are so many topics that that could be covered, from day to day um, events in their lives, or to you know traumatic um, issues to discuss, like residential school. I think opportunities on reserve. Um, some people say there's not enough employment opportunities for young people to uh, to look up to and say I want to do that. So they don't see themselves in the jobs that are currently on reserve. So until those people, um, the youth get educated, go get a degree, come back and are teachers and doctors and nurses and the um, pilots that fly in, you know, as soon as that, you know, and it's going to take a generation. And when they can start seeing themselves, then they will have the motivation and the confidence to say, I can do that too. Because I do believe that there are opportunities there. It's just going to take a bit of work yeah yeah um so could you highlight a couple of projects that you've worked on where you've really seen achievement and success um by first nations students or educators since i know books (laughs) and literacy i'm going to talk about um a success a, a successful program that i worked on um the two materials i want to talk about are uh two of the more recent things that i've worked on last year and one's called uh, Flame, and that's it's financial literacy and learning for Aboriginals means empowerment. It's a mouthful, but you know our First Nation communities really like their acronyms, so yes. <laughs> we had to get something that went with, that meant Flame. Um, and that was by the Canadian Literacy and Learning Network, and we created a culturally appropriate online course that would enable low-income First Nation Inuit and Métis people from all over Canada to build their financial literacy skills. The way people think, feel, and react to money situations uh, was explored to get the students thinking about their own spending style and attitudes about money. And this was really geared to, um, there were different um, parts of it, but it was, in com- it was completely online and the course is still available. And it started from really basics from rounding up from pennies to opening up a bank account. It went into credit cards, but it wasn't just something that you would get in a bank pamphlet. 
It explored your feelings about money, where those feelings come from. Why do you spend? How do you spend? How do you say no when somebody asks to borrow money? You know, and it outlined topics and uh, discussion how you can talk to your kids about money. And so it was a very holistic look at financial literacy. We actually piloted the program here at the um, Adult Learning Center in Winnipeg. And so, I mean, I haven't followed up to see, you know, how, how that all went, but uh, the reviews on the, when they had completed the course were, were impressive. So I'm hoping that helps a lot of people, even if it just gets them to get a bank account. So <clears throat> another, and it's funny because the, the other um, successful material is called Make Math Work. And so both of these materials and, and the need that has been requested is, is of numeracy, of numbers oh, and, yes. and money. And, you know, because we, so the idea came from this one is um, based on community needs and also um, personal experience, how youth will often say, well, I don't want to do this math. When am I ever going to use fractions? When am I ever going to use decimals? How, why do I have to know this, <laughs> right? So we framed it in... Um, with some entry-level jobs for um, Indigenous people, but also occupations where there is a gap in what employers need. And uh, we, so what, what we did is we matched math skills needed to an occupation. <clears throat> and we started off each workbook with a First Nation traditional knowledge section. This provides a cultural frame of reference along with a historical teaching to show how math skills have always been used in Indigenous cultures. And then there's some, so there's a 10 workbook series. And so some of the things we use for is money for cashier, uh, ratios and proportions with a cook or a baker, um, measurement for carpenters went through different, um, but the example we used for that one was a, um, a long, a, a long house, how, oh, how that was built. Mm -hmm. And so how when you when you look at these structures or you look at um, even teepees right they have there is a certain math associated with it and and a length and all that kind of thing so uh, we even had averages for hunting and fishing guides and so how they how they can use averages to track what area they should hunt in next because last year it was the size of the animal and how many they got and so those are those are some of the more um, more recent successful things I've worked on. Yeah. yeah. The importance of literacy. Again, it's a very broad question. Mm -hmm. but can you talk a bit about it? Um, literacy is more than just the ability to read and write. And one of, not one, the mentor, uh, Ningwakwe George, who is the... Uh, national guru of indigenous literacy, right? She taught me um, and instructed my, my thinking for 20 years now. And uh, she thinks of literacy in terms of a rainbow. And so she has had this um, indigenous perspective of what literacy means. And when she explains this definition, if you want, of literacy, it, it, it applies to what it does is it makes people feel like they are knowledgeable, that they have a level of literacy, whether it's in their, you know, personal lives or whatever. So um, I'll just go through yeah, the yeah. colors of the rainbow. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. 
So red represents the language of origin of First Nations people. Orange symbolizes the skills required for oral literacy like speaking and listening. Yellow refers to the creative means by which Aboriginal people had to learn to communicate with others who spoke another language or through or other than the written word by using symbols like pictographs, artwork, or music, or even sign language. Green refers to the literacy of the languages of the European newcomers to this land, um, and English or French. Blue refers to the skills required to communicate using technology. Indigo refers to the skills required for spiritual or cultural literacy, the ability to interpret dreams, visions, or natural events, which are seen to be messages from the spirit world, like the sighting of an animal, the shape of a cloud, or seeing a certain person at a certain point of time. And violet refers to the holistic base to Aboriginal literacy, the way in which we integrate all of the above, facilitating spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical learning outcomes, and striving for balance. So all of these aspects make up a broader definition of literacy, and I, I've, I really, I really like this approach. And so it, it's less about um, letters and numbers, but more um, encompassing a whole person. Which is the indigenous way, mm-hmm. after all. Yes, so. exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now, what about what areas do you see um, really need resources specifically, or? that are um, very much lacking. One area that I think, and I think, um, I think David Robertson and his graphic novels are doing a really good job at filling this, but I think that, you know, because his graphic novels have amazing artwork and solid historical content. Um, And of course, all the books that are available at uh, ningwakwe.ca, good resources as well. However, you know, what is lacking is, and I can be really specific here because um, I have a girl in grade seven. And so what I'm finding lacking is school age, like age 10 to 14, um, any indigenous topic really, but specifically residential schools. On reserve real life stories, the good and the bad. I think youth need to feel like they're not alone. So if they're reading something, that they can relate to it and if they can't relate to maybe a you know kind of one of the ugly stories that um they will that 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 would build empathy and understanding many publishers dislike publishing the ugly stories or they even call them too stereotypical and that's why i i think our own first nation publishers can really take a lead in getting our stories out there my, here's an example. My daughter's in grade seven here in Winnipeg. And just last week, um, they were told to have, um, they were going to be doing book reports on human rights issues. And she was, you know, being a smart kid that she is, you know, she was waiting on the edge of her seat to, to hear what the topics were, right? And they went through World War II and the Holocaust and um, Japanese internment, Um the child soldiers in Africa and residential school wasn't mentioned so she came home and told me and I was like well um, we're gonna be doing something about that and so I went and like I know a lot of books but I had to find something that was specific um, sh- kind of like a novel a true story based from a child's p- point of view that has um, a human rights issue to it 
So it had to kind of fit in with the reading level and all that. And I did find one, um, but I found one. Well, I, I, I found about four or five, but we picked the one and I had to send it to school and, and make sure that it was okay to be used. And that one is um, Fatty Legs by oh, Christy Jordan Fenton. Yeah, and um, so the teachers okayed that, but I just thought there needs to be, you know, 10 books on a table that mm-hmm. all kids can go and, and pick from instead of having to hunt it down and try to pushing it in there. I just, I really think that um, school divisions had need to have more choice in that. And a girl book and a boy book and a, you know, have, have it of all different varieties. And I think, I think the key to everything is education. Well, cultural education, cultural literacy. Um, It's not just our own people that we're trying to reach. We're trying to connect with the larger, um, community and have them understand us and be understanding and I think together that's what's gonna create a better world (laughs) and that's all for this episode of Thunder Radio I just want to thank Maria so much for visiting us and on our next show we will be talking about what it means to be a First Nations ally and what resources are available for people who are interested in that issue. Thanks again for listening.